Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what is RSV and why are so many children sick with it? RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus, is everywhere at the moment, all over the news and unfortunately all over our hospitals, with the Health Protection Surveillance Centre saying infection figures are substantially higher than other years. For example, in the week up to the 20th of November, there were a record number of 731 cases of the virus, including 290 hospitalizations. About three quarters of those cases were in children aged under four. It is highly contagious and for parents of those young children, highly worrying. Today, we have two guests on the explainer to give us a picture of how serious RSV can be and what we should know about it as we head into the real winter months. I'll be joined by Dr. Neve Lynch, who is a consultant paediatrician in Cork and a producer of brilliant Instagram content about childhood illnesses. But earlier, I spoke with Paul Murphy, who has unfortunately intimate knowledge of RSV after his newborn son was diagnosed with it and eventually had to be flown to Sweden for treatment. I began by asking him to tell us what happened with his newborn and when he first realised something was wrong. It was actually Halloween day. I had actually been in the CHI Blanchestown with my uh, two-year-old who had RSV. Came home really with just, uh, you know, the treatment of Calpol and, and Nurofen to give her. And um, she wasn't in great form, but, but really that was her story. Uh, later that evening, we ended up trying to give Liam a feed. He did take some of the, the feed, but not, he wasn't his usual self. Throughout the night, a, sim- a similar situation again, a little bit pale, but again, he that, that would be quite typical for, for Liam and, and uh, that wasn't overly concerning. Uh, next morning, we actually had a very early appointment in the Beacon, uh, unrelated to everything, just just a standard appointment. And again, at this stage, he refused his complete feed. And by the time we travelled from the Beacon back home to Rawlestown in Swords, uh, at that point, he was quite uh, very pale, a little bit blue around the eyes and the lips and very unresponsive. So uh, naturally enough, we panicked. We actually got into the car. We had a two uh, initially CHI Blanchetown because it was slightly closer but we rang them on the way and they said no go straight to Temple Street into Temple Street straight into uh, A&E and really from there the journey started at around 12 o'clock on the 1st of November and as it stands today uh, a month on we're still in the we're still in the hospitals uh, with, with Liam you know. And in those first few days when was the decision taken to bring him to Sweden and how did that come about? So initially in Temple Street, um, what they did is they put a CPAP oxygen mask on Liam and that actually had to be done uh, manually by a nurse for over five hours sitting there with him and he, he didn't like that at all. He was wriggling and quite red and that was in and of itself quite difficult to watch. It was to get a bit uh, more dramatic and worse. I suppose we ended up being uh, told that we had to transfer to Crumlin, that Liam would have to be intubated, which would be the tubes down his neck so that he could be put on a ventilator. All of that was done in Temple Street and he was transferred by ambulance across to Crumlin. So that was the Tuesday night first. And then ventilation was was used for three days, three and a half days. And they got to a point where that wasn't working. The virus wasn't lifting. His lungs weren't kicking back in. So they put us on um, an oscillator which is another type of ventilation. It, it's slightly gentler, works a different way. We were told that that would be on him for 24 hours and hopefully things would lift. And every day we would come in and, and things weren't uh, improving. And, and ultimately the issue with Lima's is oxygenation levels were dropping to a point where if something wasn't done, obviously, uh, you know, the inevitable might happen. So we were saying we'd given the option. We were, we were effectively told that we had one option, which was that we were traveling abroad to uh, Stockholm in Sweden 
as it later transpired, and he was going to receive uh, ECMO therapy uh, and treatment over there. And in the meantime, that was Saturday the 5th, so it's four or five days later from, from when we went in first, a team from Sweden came in and performed the uh, surgical part, which is putting a cannula into his neck, and that would basically facilitate the, the ECMO therapy, which would be the blood going in and out of the body, being oxygenated and so on, to allow his, his organ, in this case his lung, to beat the virus and fully recover and, and we were we, we followed over the following day so we had to watch him go away in an ambulance and then an air ambulance uh, without him and when he landed in Sweden then he actually had an issue where he had to be he flatlined and he had to be resuscitated with CPR which we learned only learned when we got there so that was quite scary as you can imagine as most parents can relate to we were in Sweden for 11 days and, and actually eight days on, on on ECMO therapy and then things started to thankfully improved with the lung capacity and the oxygenation. Uh, I suppose Liam was on the men, but we the journey hasn't stopped there. We had to come home to uh, Crumlin. We were five days in ICU and then we were transferred to the ward where we currently are there now going up on nine days. So we're, we're, we're in the system a full month at this stage. And how is he doing now, Paul? He's, he's great. Um, he's in much better, much better form. He's smiling. Uh, he's, he doesn't have as much... Uh, attached to him as he as he's had over the last month in terms of equipment um and so on uh, but he's his his vitals were just checked there a few moments ago actually he, he's he's in he's in very good shape and the only issues is oxygenation levels are when he goes into a deep sleep are slightly lower than they would like and we need to get a four hour solid period behind us where they're i think 90 or above uh, before they, they let us go so we're wearing a bit thin, but look, we are we are on the, the positive side of things in terms of being able to go home. He is in good shape. And with the exception of a few tests that still have to be done uh, on lean, because he has gone through a huge amount with the therapy, the ECMO therapy, the ventilators, all that kind of stuff for, for as you can imagine, a, a 12-week-old baby. Uh, other than that, we're, 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 we're very happy with the outcome, thank God. Obviously, it's been such a, a, a positive outcome and you're able to say that now, but obviously a really traumatic time over the last number of weeks. You've been talking a lot about the messaging to parents because obviously, you know, Liam's only 12 weeks old. You don't always necessarily know as a parent what to look out for. What do you think the HSE should be doing to uh, tell parents that this is out there and what, what do they need to look out for? The, the simplest way to describe it is when, when we, if we knew at the time what we now know, we would have been... Uh, uh, far more on high alert and and you know you always have responsibilities as a parent look after your, your your children and we wore masks and we were sanitizing but we had rsv in the house for a couple of weeks before actually it took hold of Liam, and that manifested itself as a simple common cold in the house with the girls having a runny nose as as you're hearing also in the media some of the common symptoms in older children uh, cough and so on I suppose with the messaging, as I feel it, hasn't been strong enough on the, the focus on, on newborn babies up to, say, six months, where they are the ones that really are um, under pressure from this virus because, you know, not to, not to scaremonger, I, I think our situation was quite extreme, but definitely to get a message out there to, to watch the little ones as best as you can. That was Paul Murphy, whose 12-week-old son, Liam, is currently in hospital with RSV. Now I'm joined by Dr. Neve Lynch. Dr. Neve Lynch, thanks so much for joining us here on The Explainer. To kick us off, can you tell us about the basics of RSV? How does it cause illness in someone and what are the symptoms? So RSV stands for respiratory syncytial virus. And you probably know in medicine, we like big words, but basically it means that it's a respiratory virus and it affects the very young and the very old quite severely in that it can cause 
difficulty with breathing in the middle, in the older children and adults, it tends to manifest more as a, as a runny nose and a bit of a cough, but in small children, particularly those under six months, it can make them quite sick. And how does it differ from the common cold or a flu or COVID? Well, it's similar in many ways in that it is a virus um, and most people will encounter this virus in their childhood. So it's a, it's a very common childhood virus. Um, it does make small babies sicker than COVID does. Obviously, flu can make small babies very sick as well, but it's not as common in small babies. So it's the most common respiratory virus in small babies that can make them really sick. And I suppose that's how it stands out from the other viruses, particularly at this time of year. Yeah. And do adults get it? Because obviously we've been hearing a lot over the last while about children presenting themselves in big numbers in hospital particularly. But do us adults get it? We do. Yeah. Now, it's something that we build up some immunity to as, as we go through our lives. No, nobody's ever completely immune to it, but um, you can build up some immunity to it. Your body will will recognize the virus. But obviously in small children, they just don't have that immunity, particularly those under six months. Um, but certainly adults can get it. A lot of the time when children come into hospital with RSV, the parents will be quite congested as well, might have a bit of a cough or a sore throat themselves. And, you know, we don't test the parents, obviously, but it's pretty much likely that they have RSV as well. And what about older people then? So you're talking about grandparents, great-grandparents, are they more at risk? The elderly, um, people with underlying heart conditions, high blood pressure, asthma, things like that, people with chronic lung disease are definitely more at risk if they get RSV. But this is not a new virus. Obviously, it's been around for you know a very, very long time. Um, but it's something that people are very aware of now. Yeah, so obviously, we're a lot more aware of just illnesses in general and these kinds of viruses because of covid it seems like it's worse this year. And obviously we're talking about record numbers. Is there a reason for that? It depends on how things level out over the rest of the viral season. So we might be just seeing a very high early peak in the virus and it may settle out as as the winter goes on. So we won't really know that until the end of the winter, if you know what I mean. Um, There are a lot of uh, children, obviously, who were very nicely protected during uh, the pandemic because of all the precautions that we had in place. And obviously, the older a child is when they get RSV, the less severely they're going to be impacted. So there's a whole cohort of children who were protected for a long time from the worst effects of this. And hopefully, because they're getting a bit older, they won't be as sick. So there was some benefit to them um, in terms of the increased hygiene measures that we had for those two years. So I suppose to answer your question, it's a very high, fast, intense peak at the moment, but it may settle out over the next few weeks. We don't know. We're just going to have to see how things go. And just from your memory, is there more media chat about this? Maybe it's a we're influenced by COVID, so we're talking about this more. Totally, totally. I mean, when COVID started, I said to myself and to my pediatric colleagues, when they were describing COVID, I was like, that sounds exactly like what RSV is like for babies, you know, and and it was never spoken about. So in a way, I'm glad that the spotlight is being shone on it because it's something that's been known about since the 1950s and it's never had the attention it's having now. And in a way, that's a good thing, because if it helps to protect babies and make people more aware, then that's a good thing. You know, like the statistics are that um, 2 percent of all children, all healthy children will be hospitalized because of of RSV. You know, that's a lot of children. So if we can protect some of them, that would be great. Yeah. And the numbers that we're talking about now, like 731 in the last uh, surveillance that I looked at before coming on here, 
how much of a problem is that causing in, in your hospitals right now in terms of, you know, capacity? So I obviously can't speak for other hospitals, but in my hospital, um, there are a lot of children with respiratory illnesses uh, as inpatients at the moment, and the majority of them have RSV. I can only speculate, but I know in the bigger hospitals that um, it may be difficult for elective things to go ahead because there are a lot of children in with RSV, so elective procedures may have to be cancelled. I don't know, but I imagine that might start to happen. We will always find a space for a child who needs medical attention and and needs support and needs oxygen and things like that. There's never a question that there isn't room for sick children, but it may have an outward ripple effect for those whose surgeries and things like that might get deferred, you know. And how is RSV treated? So it's a virus, so there's no point in giving a child antibiotics for a virus, as you know. Um, Sometimes they can get a secondary bacterial infection, in which case you might give antibiotics. But in the initial stages of it, it's really supportive. So because it causes breathing difficulties and congestion, small babies might have difficulty both breathing and feeding. So if that's the case, then they need to be admitted for hospital and they might need suction of the mucus from their nose. They might need oxygen. They might need feeding through a nasal tube, um, various different things like that, just supporting them through the illness and and monitoring them for any signs of bacterial infection as well. Again, this is something we have learned through COVID, but once a virus gets into a hospital, it can spread around and RSV obviously is contagious. Um, Are hospitals better equipped to deal with that now? And are there different measures in place this year than maybe before to try and limit the spread of RSV? So... COVID definitely has improved things in terms of the availability of um, personal protective equipment. And um, certainly the ideal scenario is that a child with bronchiolitis with RSV is in an isolation room. So when we're dealing with them, we put on our PPE and we take extra precautions so that we don't bring the virus out of the room. The other thing is that testing for RSV has improved. So we're able to test and get a result very quickly, like on the same day, so that we know their status, so that we can make sure that the child is isolated and doesn't pose a risk um, for spreading it to other children. And then I I promise I will stop talking about COVID at some stage, but I do think it's an interesting comparison just after the few years we've come out of. But we've heard a lot about coronavirus mutating and, you know, different strains. Is there... RSV variants or is it just a stable virus that kind of the same one appears? There's two strains, A and B, and they're pretty stable kind of over the decades, you know. Um, They're sort of felt to be pretty similar in how many children who have either subtype end up getting hospitalized. With the B subtype, if the child does need to go to intensive care, which is rare, but if they do need to go to intensive care, they find that the child with the B subtype will need a bit more intensive care than the child with an A subtype. But in general, both subtypes circulate every year uh, and one of them will become more dominant, but we won't know that until the end of the viral season. And obviously, if it gets that serious, it can be fatal. Do we have those statistics of how many people have been impacted and have died by RSV over the years? Um, It's extremely rare in the developed world for a baby to die of RSV because of all the supports and interventions that we have available. Most babies, even if they get very, very unwell, will come out the other end and will be fine. It's a very traumatic thing for the baby themselves and for the parents as they go through it. But in general, they will survive. Unfortunately, in developing countries, in poorer countries, um, there is a significant mortality rate from RSV. But 
thankfully here in Ireland it's very very low I think the main thing parents and parents-to-be will be listening to this podcast and thinking what are we meant to look out for um, and when is a trip to the doctor necessary and when is a trip to the hospital more more appropriate because parents obviously want to mind their children but they obviously don't want to overreact as well so what are the things that absolutely should necessitate them going to the doctor or going to the hospital? So I suppose you talk about the kind of spidey senses that Spider-Man has. Well, mums and dads have kind of that equivalent as parents, you know, very often they'll have a sense that something isn't right. And that's a very important thing to listen to in yourself if you have that feeling. But there are some objective things to look out for as well. So if if a baby's less than six months, they just have to be checked out by, by a doctor. There's no kind of way around that. If they have respiratory symptoms and they're under six months, they have to be reviewed medically. Older children then, it's really kind of looking at them as a whole, like how are they in themselves? Are they listless, lethargic, irritable? Um, what does their skin look like? Is it nice and pink or is it kind of pale or mottled looking? Are they eating and drinking? Are they having wet nappies, passing urine as normal? Um, and what's their breathing like? So you want to be kind of looking at how fast they're breathing and how hard they're working to breathe. So you're looking at the base of the neck, um, if there's a sort of a, a pull there, or a tug there. And if the ribs are kind of sucking in and out when they're breathing, that means they're working hard. So all of those things are indicators that you should be getting your baby checked out medically. And like I said, um, that sense that something isn't quite right is is a red flag and, and should be acted on if you're worried. Yeah, so just even one of those symptoms and that spidey sense is enough to to take the trip. Yeah, exactly. Or just the spidey sense, really, to be honest with you. You know, if you're just just not happy, then you're better off. Nobody will criticise you for bringing your child to get checked out um, when it comes to their breathing, you know. And does the same then go, because obviously parents might not be able to tell the difference between flu, COVID, RSV. So it's anything with those respiratory. Anything. Like, and obviously the, the, you know, a rash that doesn't go away when you press it as well, obviously. But I mean, that's a whole different avenue. But yeah, any of those things. And it doesn't matter what the virus is. Like, you know, other things. So bronchiolitis is what in what lands children in hospital, which is this cough and wheeze um, caused usually by RSV. But other viruses can cause it too, like flu can cause it and adenovirus can cause it. So like it doesn't really matter what the virus is. It's how it's affecting your child is the important thing. So if if it's affecting your child to the point where they're showing you these red flags, then you need to get medical attention for them. And then before that happens, is there anything that parents can do to protect their kids against it? Like things like, you know, mask wearing, should that come back uh, this winter? So the thing about babies with RSV is that very often, there's two scenarios where I see quite sick babies with RSV. And this is me just telling you a story now, right? But the times I've seen very sick babies with RSV is after they're christening, when they're handed around and kissed and cuddled and, you know, they're just the, you know, the star of the show. So some babies can get quite sick after that because before, now to be fair, this is pre-COVID, people just didn't sort of discriminate if, if they had a cough or a cold, they'd still go along to, to an occasion, you know. And then the other type of baby that can get quite sick is a baby who has a toddler sibling who's in, in a creche or daycare. So when it comes to protecting your baby from adults, then, you know, the onus is on us all to be grownups. And if we're not feeling well and we know that we're going to visit somebody with a newborn, we should be the grown up and say, you know what, I have a runny nose or I've had a cough. I'm not going to call, you know, and, that, and that's the kind and the responsible thing to do. And as a parent, it, there shouldn't be pressure on parents to say no. I think people should just 
be grown up enough about it to say, look, I'll come next week instead. So that's important. So for the grown ups to be considerate of parents of new babies. And then the second thing is obviously the, the siblings coming home from the crash with the runny nose. You know, some toddlers don't like their new siblings, but some of them absolutely adore them and will shower them with kisses and all of that. And that's how they transfer the virus over to their little baby sibling. So um, it's probably better to, if your child has a cough or, or a runny nose, to avoid letting them kiss the new baby on the face or on the hands or on the feet. Um, and ideally not really have them physically interacting with them in a huge way and just to sort of try and keep them separate, although that might be impossible. Um, but it's certainly something that is a, is, is a driver of this, that the older sibling will will pass it on to the younger sibling. Yeah, as you said, something that's not possible in every situation, but good for people to know that that's how it happened. Um, the other question that probably people will have is, if there's so much RSV, RSV in the world, do we have a vaccine or is there one in the works? There is one in the works and it has completed its phase three trials, which means it's quite advanced and is being submitted for approval with the FDA. And that will take time to uh, come into Ireland. And generally, it takes a long time for a vaccine to become an established part of the vaccine schedule. So we're just going to have to watch the space uh, in terms of that. But it would certainly alleviate a lot of the burden of this awful virus every winter. Babies who are premature uh, or who have heart problems or lung problems get a special type of antibody uh, over the winter months that gives them temporary protection for the winter. Uh, It's not a lasting type of immunity that a vaccine would give. So hopefully it'll materialise in the next few years and it would be a game changer for sure. And then going into the kind of real, I know we're in winter a while, but the real winter months, what else would you tell parents to do to keep their babies and their younger infants safe? It's about just, I suppose, knowing when you need to get medical help, number one. Number two is about just that whole awareness of other people, you know, that other people need to be conscious that if their child is is sick, maybe they shouldn't send them to crash that day. If they themselves are sick, maybe they shouldn't ask to hold the baby and give the baby loads of kisses and cuddles, things like that. So I think we all kind of have a a role to play as a society. Um, You know, once the baby's in hospital, obviously we do our part as healthcare workers to support them through this awful thing. But uh, it would be great if we could, you know, we had zero transmission of RSV during COVID. So we know that the public health measures that we had in place for COVID were completely effective for RSV. So even if we could continue the good habits that we picked up um, during COVID in terms of hand washing and isolating yourself if you're unwell, then that would really help the, the, the smallest citizens of this country, you know, who are most vulnerable to this virus. Yeah, I think we did learn an awful lot over COVID and probably some people are jaded by it, but you can see those tiny, tiny things. You're not talking about lockdowns, you're talking about very small human adult things that we can do. Thanks so much, uh, Dr. Neve Lynch, for talking to us today on The Explainer. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Explainer. And a big thank you to Neve and Paul for making the time to explain things to us today. This episode was brought to you by producers Nikki Ryan and Aoife Barry. If you enjoyed this programme, please consider supporting us so we can continue to make more just like this one. There's a couple of things you can do. Head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber or make a one-off donation. You can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a great way to make sure other people will listen and love it as well. Thank you and catch you next time.